Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the What Is Life podcast. It is your host, your boy, Sensei Speeds in the building. Yes, Mr. Cronkite himself. Back at you with episode two. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about healing and why it's important and why it's a key to life. I want to thank y'all for coming back for another episode. That is so dope, man. Y'all back for another round. Y'all back for another wave. I appreciate that. I enjoy speaking and telling my life, using my life experiences to answer life's questions. So without further ado, let's get into it. Healing. Man, when you heal, you let go. You let go of fear. You let go of doubt. You let go of angst. You let go of pain. You let go of negativity. Every time we're affected by negativity, it's like we're wounded. It's like getting stabbed with a butcher knife and then having the knife tear down slowly. Like molasses falling. That, that slow. But we have the power to heal. What do I mean when I say heal? When I say heal, I mean to become at peace with the situation that you're in. Because once you accept, you can release. Now, wound over time can heal. Wounds can be big or small. Wounds can be big or small. It depends on how quickly you can heal. Now, this whole decade, I've spent healing my past. Whether I knew it or not, that's what it was about. Healing's hard, healing's tough. Because we have to confront and stand up and ask those questions that we don't want to ask. It's uncomfortable. Like pouring hydrogen, hydrogen, 
like pouring hydrogen peroxide on a wound. Y'all know that thing be stinging? Oh my gosh. But it heals it. It heals it. And that's what we have to do to ourselves. We have to define each wound, get in there and clean it up. Look, we got to clean that shit up. We have to. So here's my life, right? I was born in Japan. I lived there for five and a half years. Those five and a half years were the best years of my life. I didn't know what racism was. My parents were together. And although they fought, they fought, I didn't see it. I saw the love. I saw the affection that they showed one another. I thought they were a happy couple. And I thought that's what love was supposed to be. You know, I saw the love for the good. I saw my parents. I saw the good in my parents. I saw the good in my parents. You know, they, they looked out for me. They'd spoil me. Sometimes my mom would try to give me a whip and my dad would... <laughs> he would uh, pick me up right away. <laughs> He'd protect me from the whooping. <laughs> uh, that would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, my dad was dope. But my mom was super affectionate too. I used to love watching movies with my mom. Cuddling up with my mom. Yeah. But we were kicked out of Japan. We had to leave Japan as fast as we could. But like all good things, you know what I say, all good things must come to an end. And this is when my test began. So when I was in Japan, it was me, my mom, my dad, and my older brother. When I was younger, like two or three, I asked my brother, I was like, yo, what if we're the only kids born? What if we're the first kids? It's, you know, I'm in Japan. I didn't see anybody else like me, really. Saw a few black kids, but, you know, it's mostly Japanese kids. I went to a Japanese school for three months. That was dope. That was dope. So it was perfect being a kid in Japan. I had, from what I saw, a loving family. And then we would spend Christmases in Chicago, summers in Chicago. And there was so much love. So much love there. 
And then, slowly but surely, it all came to an end. We had to leave Japan. From Japan, we went to Chicago. My mom did not want to stay in Chicago, so we moved to Mississippi. My dad was still in Japan. So we set up shop in Mississippi. Bounced around from apartment to apartment. Then we finally got a house. But it was tough. It was tough. So I got my first real taste of racism. And real, real life. You know, I went from being happy-go-lucky in Japan, like not having, not knowing what fear is, to being thrown into a fear-based society. I mean, in Japan, I was walking around going to t-ball practice. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? My little black ass is going to t-ball practice, walking to t-ball practice by myself, by myself, four years old. My parents weren't with me. It was that safe. It was that safe. You can't do that nowadays, especially here in America. My goodness, not here in the United States. No, no. That's not happening. That's not flying. Come on now. Come on now. There's a sense. There's a sense of peace in Japan. I have no fear. No worries. I was an hour from Tokyo. Come on now. But anyway, um, I went from being. When I thought free and happy, thrown into a fear-based society. So I had to learn a whole new side of myself. And also still keep that kid in me, still be myself. That was my test. Life wanted to break me. So it kept throwing knives at me. Once we moved to Mississippi, we were still spending some summers, some Christmases there. That was short-lived. My brother gets sent away to go live with my dad in Florida. He's now in Florida at the time. My dad's now in Florida. Left Japan, now is in Florida. So my mom sends my brother away first. Then one day I'm cleaning my room, being a good boy. I'm happy my brother's gone. And it's just me and my mommy all to myself. I was happy. You know what I mean? My brother used to terrorize me. You know what I mean? But uh, my mom walked in. She was like, Spencer. You can't handle being the only child. I'm saying you go live with your dad. And I was like, oh. 
And then I was like, well, you know, I love my dad. He's my best friend. So shit, I'm happy. I'm cool. I'm like, okay, fine. I love my dad. But my dad was on his grind. He was hustling. He was trying to make ends meet for himself. So we barely got to see him. Then my brother got sent away. So I felt real isolated. Real isolated growing up. I lost my whole family slowly, little by little. I lost my voice. I'm over here going to work at 12, 13 years old, trying to help put food on the table. I'm like, this is, is this what it's like to be a kid? I was in eighth grade. I was in eighth grade. So my schedule for school was wake up, go to school, go to football practice or track practice. After that, go to the commissary and work. Help my dad work. Help my dad work. Come home, do homework. Eat or eat, then do homework. Shower, go to bed. It was wild. It was wild. The communication between me and my pops deteriorated. Over time, we went from being best friends, and then I remember one time we were riding home from work. It's like my senior year. It was like Spencer and we used to be best friends, but now I don't know what's happened between us. I didn't know. But I did know. I resented my dad because I saw how other kids were growing up and living. But I wasn't living like that. And I understood that. But you know, when your dad's your best friend, right? And you're thinking, man, I'm about to live with my best friend and I'm going to play and we're going to play and have a great time. He's going to have time to see me and whatnot. Nah. It's not like that. But you know what? He never missed a football game though. I'll tell you that. <clears throat> he never missed a football game no matter how busy he was. So shout out to my pops for that. I love my dad for that. But he was teaching me structure. He was trying to keep me out of trouble. So he was trying to keep me busy, keep me working. And even though the work wasn't putting money in my pocket, it went, it went, it served a bigger purpose. But I felt like I wasn't respected like I should have been. 
when I couldn't talk to the rest of my family because of certain beefs that they had. Y'all know how divorces go? Egos flare. Bad judgments made. Good judgments made. People do what they think is best for them and their peace of mind and go to separate ways. But just because they go to separate ways doesn't mean that they're necessarily healing from it. Those wounds could still be open. And all they're doing is just dressing it up nice and neat. But they don't want to get in there and clean it up. They want to dress it up, not clean it up. It's only until you clean your wounds when you can heal your wound. It's only until you clean your wound. It's only until you clean your wound. That's when you can heal your wound. So they make their own decisions. And without having the decision to even pick a side, you're already forced to have a side. And then that is what it is. So the love that you want to show and that you want to express, you can't. Because then that's like you being disloyal. And then that creates the biggest wound because you're not being loyal to yourself and to what yourself wants. We create deeper wounds because we don't do what we think is best for ourselves. But sometimes we don't have a choice. Best believe I rebelled. I spent countless nights sleeping outside, sleeping in friends' laundry rooms. Shout out my guy Dalton Mason. <laughs> One time I ran away from home. Slept in that man's, uh, he had a laundry room in the shed outside of his house. Slept right in that. Vibes. <laughs> Went to school the next morning, caught the bus. But yep. And then my life continued to fall apart. 2012 comes. I'm thinking I'm getting back with my ex. 
that didn't happen. I was in Kansas at the time. They played a huge decision in me going back. I was playing football in Kansas. I couldn't handle the grades in football, so, you know. I have had to come back home. I come back to Florida. Next thing you know, I'll get kicked out the house. Now I'm homeless. Now I'm bouncing around from friend's house to friend's house. Shout out Brandon. Shout out Keith. Shout out Carrie. They held me down. They held me down. Then I reached out to my mom. In 2012, I reached out to my mom. I was at rock bottom. I had nothing. But I had a goal. I had a vision. I said, I got to get out. I got to get out of here. So I asked my mom, I hit up my mom, and I asked her what happened between her and my dad. She told me her side. She kept it all the way 100. She kept it real. I asked her some tough questions. She didn't back down from any questions. She kept it thorough with me straight up. And I appreciate that. I love when people keep it real. Because the truth lets you heal. Because the truth gives you a peace of mind. That's what we're doing. That's why healing is so important. We got to heal. If we want to proceed on with our lives. When you heal, you let go of emotional debt. Emotional debt is just like financial debt. Some people drown in financial debt and get so depressed that they can't get out of it. So they submit to it. Emotional debt. So much baggage that you do not want to deal with that you just keep suppressing and suppressing and suppressing. All those wounds open. Hurting. But you're just dressing them up. They're not healing they're not being clean thoroughly. You're not getting the nitty gritty. You're not putting that hydrogen peroxide on it. You're not really reflecting on it. Holding yourself accountable. Account taking accountability is a huge part of healing. You just can't always blame the other person. You have to examine the other person's circumstances, realize the situation that you're in, and then go from there. See, I was young. I didn't know. I didn't know. So look, I was about to kill myself, right? I have 40 pills in my hand. Because even when I was in high school, it was still the same structure. 
go to a school, go to football practice. After practice, go to the commissary, work, come home, eat, homework, go to bed. At least up to my sophomore year, that's how it was. Then my little brother, my blessing, Christian was born. And then I got the babysit Christian. <laughs> and that got me out of the commentaries. That was dope. Shout out to you, Christian. I love you. Um, yeah. So anyway, I was about to kill myself. I had 40 pills in my hand. This was after a football game. We beat Pine Forest at Pine Forest. Playoffs. Junior year, high school. Had a relatively good game. But it seemed like no matter how, did, how good I did, my dad wasn't impressed. Because that's the only thing that we w would, could relate to at this point was just sports. I couldn't talk to him about the things I wanted to talk about because we weren't, we weren't allowed to discuss that. So he walks in, he sees me with the pills in my hand. I had already said goodnight to him, so I wasn't expecting him to walk back in, but he usually doesn't do that, but he, I guess he can't check on me. He was like, Spencer, and he sees me. I look like a deer in the headlights. I'm like, And he's like, what's that in your hand? I'm like, they're pills. He's like, what are you doing with those pills? And I was like, I'm about to kill myself. Then he shook his head. He said, give me them pills. He closed the door. He went to bed. Now, I wasn't going to kill myself. But I had the thought. It was the temptation. The temptation said, man, nobody cares. Nobody loves you. Just go ahead. What are you here for? But then another thought came, a vision came. And it was the times when I was just happy as a kid. And holding on to that spirit of being a kid and being fear free and just doing what I want, being happy, and just not caring about what other people think not caring about what other people have to say. Not caring about what other people think or what other people have to say. That's the beauty and the power of being a kid and the imagination and the energy, all that. I hold on to that and have vision of that to this day. I said, I couldn't give up on the dreams that I had as a kid. That I could, and then just being selfish, I can't be selfish like that. 
knowing I'm going to affect the lives of many just because I had one selfish act because I was feeling down on myself. I couldn't do that. I couldn't allow myself to do that. Ever. And I'm sure y'all know how I'm being. Y'all be like, man, what's the point? And then you're like, uh, screw all that. That's what, that was one of the moments. <laughs> that was one of the moments. But yeah, that was wild. After my dad saw that, I was like, man, I ain't never doing that again. Healing. But after that, you know, my mom helped me all that she could. I was able to get out of uh, get out of Florida, get back into Kansas, play football. Then after that, it was funny too. Back in 2013, when I got to Kansas, my dad called me. He was like, "Yo, Spencer, I need your help with the commissary." And then I was like, "I'm not in Florida. I'm in Kansas." He was like, "Huh? What?" <laughs> I'm like, "I'm in Kansas playing football." And then he was like, "He couldn't believe it. He hung up." And then he called me back. He was like, so what? So you're in Kansas? You didn't tell nobody? And I was like, yeah. And I got back in contact with my mom. And then he blew a gasket. That boy was hot. He was hot. He was hot. He was like, ah, damn it. He's talking to her. I was like, yo. <laughs> you bugging out. Peace. You know, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get a degree, get, get back to school, do something in my life, not just sit around. And then I guess the next day he had some talks with his buddies at work. And they were telling him, like, yo, why are you tripping? Your son's in school. He's trying to do the best he can. Let him get all the help he needs. If he's trying to help himself, why are you tripping? So he called me back, apologized, and then you know, we were cool with it. We kicked it. We could have let our relationship die out completely right there, but you know what I'm saying? We held it right then and there. And now me and my past best friends and him because of that. And he knows that I'm going to keep it thorough with the people who keep it thorough with me. It just is what it is, but he knows that our love for each other, that bond that we have, should never be broken. For real. And then I was able to get the stories that I needed from my family members. I had to ask them the tough questions as to why my family split up. Why my life had to be so thrown on a loop. My life was spiraling out of control in 2012. Spiraling out of control. Had no direction. My dad told me that I got kicked out the house. <sighs> I broke down. I broke down. When he told me I had to leave, I couldn't take it. I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go, how I was going to be. But a, a calm, a peace, 
something came over me and said, you're going to be all right. And I started laughing at my tears, laughing at me crying, laughing at my pain. Shout Kevin Hart. And I was like, man, let's get it. So we getting it. Fast forward, it's New Year's Eve. And I've healed my whole past. I finally got my dad to tell me what really happened. That's why my family split up. I got to reunite with my brother. You know what I'm saying? I'm starting our healing process. But having my mother back in my life is probably the, the biggest accomplishment of my of the decade for me. It allowed me to really heal me and really bring myself back to me. Now, since I'm healed, I'm not afraid to speak my truth like I'm doing to you right now. I'm not afraid to be myself like I'm being right now. I'm not afraid to teach. I'm not afraid to speak my mind because I am healed. You got to recognize the people who hate and show negativity, they're living in a low vibrational state because they're broken. They are wounded, wounded angels. There are wounded brothers and sisters. They're wounded. So they're going to nitpick and try to wound you because that's what they know. But the best thing you can do is continue to do you and inspire. Tell your story. Help someone. Because your journey and your path can help somebody heal. Listen, we have to heal. That's the only way that we can evolve. That's the only way that we can break out of the darkness and begin being the light that we need to be. We have to heal. It's so much inner work, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's so liberating. Healing releases you from a depressed state. Ask yourself why you hurt when you're hurting. Ask yourself why do you feel that way? 
analyze the situation. What did you do? How could you have reacted better? How are you going to learn from it? Do you need to ask any parties or do you need to ask questions to any other people who are involved? These are all things to consider, ladies and gentlemen. During our healing process. Healing is letting go of emotional debt. And when you are emotionally debt-free, the world is yours. You can begin to manifest anything you want because you're living in a high vibrational state of mind. Frequency, energy, vibration. That's the law of attraction. How frequent you think about it. How much energy you put into it. And how fast you do what you need to do. That's vibration. That's frequency and that's energy. What is life, man? Life is healing. Imagine a world, our society healed. There's no limits to what we can do. I want to thank y'all, man, for sticking around for another episode. Episode two, healing. I want to know some ways that you guys are healing and what are some things that you're going through that we can discuss in the comments and um, give each other some advice, give each other some um, some helpful tips and hints. And, you know, let's all help each other on this journey of life. We're all in this together. We're all one consciousness. So we're here for such a short period of time, but a long period of time. So we got to make it count. We got to learn as much as we can. And that's what we're doing and apply as much as we can and once we change ourselves, we can really change the world. But we can't change ourselves unless we heal. I want to thank you guys again. Thank you for listening. Thank you for liking and sharing. And, you know, hating. And um, just watching. And just listening. I appreciate you for just being you. Thank you for rocking with your boy, Sensei Speeds, Mr. Cronkite himself. And you're not going to want to miss episode three. We are talking about relationships. Yep. Life is relationships. You need relationships. But how do you define a relationship? We'll see you then. Thank you, guys. Love you. Be blessed. Love. Spooky.